Newt. Brother Brown comes along. You must whip it. You must whip it. Oh, wait, dude, I started recording. <laughs> I'm not gonna cut that out. Okay. Well, this is another episode. What is the name of this one? Well, this is Vague State. This is Vague State. Oh, yeah, um. So, name of this episode. What are you living for? And I think this I- this idea was sort of inspired by this existentialist philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, and he talks about these modes of existence. You know, like what are you living for, pretty much? And he he talks about three in particular: the aesthetic life, the ethical life, and the religious life. And first, I think we're going to talk about the aesthetic life because I, it seems to me that most people choose this path to live down, and that's what most people are motivated by, um, by pleasure and satisfaction. And just like the, their drive for life is kind of to achieve those things. But what we talked about on this is... You know, maybe some of the happiest people are those who don't seek out happiness and they're not always they're not always bending over backwards to to gain satisfaction and pleasure. Um, but what I really liked because uh, I, I was listening to I've been listening to this lecture series on existentialism. It's from the great courses. And what um, the lecturer said that really stood out to me, something he said was, Every time you satisfy a desire, a new one takes its place. So if the aim of the aesthetic life is satisfaction, there there is a sense in which it is impossible. There is always frustration. There is always dissatisfaction. Uh, the The repetition is numbing. So I think in this sense, it's basically saying that you can never be completely satisfied so i mean like what you need to be living for things more than satisfaction and there's some people like like we've talked about that you know they don't ever really feel satisfied so there should be something else that you are that you are living for today you said to me that you don't think i am a follower of the aesthetic life so why why do you think that you're not a what a follower of the aesthetic life um, I mean, it just doesn't seem to me that you really, f- you really see satisfaction and an extreme pleasure as something that is attainable in your life. So, I think your your scope of life is just different, and you're trying to achieve different things. You're like, you know, I'm not going to ever feel completely satisfied, or ecstatic about my existence so you know I might as well find the things that I do enjoy or things that I can find passion in and just do it and that's the way it is and you don't really seek out insane pleasure because maybe you just don't really think that you can experience that whereas I think you are someone who thinks ahead to what you like to do and and I discover what makes you feel fulfilled. And I think looking back at all of the times wherever I felt the most joy, um, and just had like my peak experiences, as Maslow would say, I think it was whenever. I mean, unfortunately, I think it's a lot of drug experiences. I think it's um, experiences that I have attached to certain people. So that's why for a long time I chased after people and I really tried to um, I really tried to find romantic relationships that I could that I could dive into and devote myself to but recently I've just discovered that that desire for romantic love and chasing after it it's never really going to at least in this point in my life it's not going to bring satisfaction because there's everything is just so temporary whenever we're this young at least it's almost like running down a hall to get to the end but it's forever stretching yeah and I'm just I'm a very um, loyal person uh, a devoted person whenever it comes to romance 
and you know I, I've I've just I've met a couple people the last one in particular I just thought I, I had met somebody that just fit all the criteria I was desiring for so long and I completely devoted myself to it I you know I was kind of settled down into it and that was just sort of silly because at this age you shouldn't ever think that anything is permanent um, and on the other hand like whenever I did settle down into it and I kind of in a sense wasn't on my toes anymore I wasn't really putting all my effort into the relationship and I just wasn't really being a great partner to be with um, I think permanence is a very interesting topic especially at our age because of so much that is always changing um, and I think in some ways some people come to understand or, or accept that permanence um, maybe is folly like all things must pass all things are going to end eventually your current state of well-being your current living situation, your current romantic partners, um, or even the youth in your body, it will all be gone one day. Just like the seasons. Yeah, um, and I think I think with the aesthetic life, whenever you're constantly chasing the next thing that you're desiring, constantly chasing um, the next uh, experience of satisfaction or pleasure, it's kind of frantic. It's like you're always running around focused on something that you want to obtain, something that you want to feel, you can't ever just like sit back and relax because because it's so repetitive and temporary. It reminds me of an essay that I read for school uh, and I might describe the aesthetic life as uh, emotional consumerism where in material consumerism you seek out these products because you believe that they're going to, in a sense, make you happier because you will be fulfilled by what they can give you. But in reality, there's always, there's always going to be another product. You're going to run out and you'll have to buy a new one or find a different, uh, newer thing, which mm -hmm. maybe some people can get addicted to. Here we have written down, maybe some of the happiest people are those who don't seek it out. And what do you think about that? in terms of the aesthetic life and I think accepting that while things might always be subtly changing you don't necessarily have to give yourself too much to that which is beyond your comfort zone well I think that's the key I think it is acceptance people that you know not necessarily are just giving up and like okay well life is going to be the way that it is so let's just bring come on bring it on I'm um, whatever I think it, it, it is more in a sense you are living your life to the fullest and devoting yourself to your passions but there is also this aspect of not being crushed whenever things don't go your way mm -hmm. and understanding that life isn't all about pleasure Sometimes there's things that you need to do that aren't going to bring you pleasure and it, that doesn't make it mundane. And that's why we also were talking about um, whenever you're going day to day and you know do, fulfilling your responsibilities, um, doing the things that are expected of you, you know like going to work, um, going on errands, helping out other people, you know, just living a normal life uh, and doing things that most people are expected to do. Is it, I, I guess your argument was... It was kind of like, in these regular day-to-day -day things that you get caught up in, you may find yourself caught up mentally uh, with the idea that you don't enjoy doing these things and you would rather not be burdened by them um, I think an example from my age would be going to school in order to succeed later on makes a lot of sense and it works for quite a lot of people 
but it's also something where you're caught up in the moment and you may feel like it's not really your decision or your choice but something you feel you must do because others have and that's the way that the system is I guess but personally I believe more in like process thinking rather than product thinking I'd say if I spent the first couple of years of college just thinking about the endpoint and nothing else and not trying to enjoy my time in college I think I would have gone crazy because there wasn't that much about it that was enjoyable like the reason I'm doing it um, is because you know I want my degree and it's to go along this path to a destination that I want to reach at the end but at the same time like I, I would like to enjoy as much of it as possible and I think I need to be looking for those things to enjoy to actually enjoy it so rather than you know going about your day-to-day -day, doing the things that you don't necessarily want to do and just trying to do it not very mindfully maybe instead think about other things that you want to do later or like think about the the bigger picture oh well why am I doing this I think my goal in life is to not just look at the bigger picture but like day to day even the things that I don't necessarily want to be doing well what could I get out of this that isn't the big picture like the in the process of it what could be enjoyable about it yeah I mean the, the reason we're kind of talking about this and, and someone to bring forth is uh, Henry David Thoreau, the transcendentalist of the 1800s, with his idea that you should save on the low levels of energy, which um, admittedly back in his day included more uh, manual labor, um, at least when he was, he was living, I believe, at Walden Pond in the cabin, he had to chop the firewood and get his meals, get water himself and make sure he was dry but his idea was that you should only give to those things as much energy as you need to sometimes good enough is good enough so that you can have a reserve uh, somewhat of mental capacity in order to uh, fully or more exploratively give your mind to greater things uh, that to him were very religiously tied and nature tied he was mm -hmm. living out in the woods uh, and it means also that you can you can spend more time exploring the functions and ability of, of your mind the way that you think about the world and I think while potentially also coming to more negative conclusions it's maybe perhaps equally as likely you could come to more existentially productive more defined conclusions uh, and I think this kind of uh, thinking is not something that you can necessarily do all the time every day um, but there have been many people in history who have promoted this uh, and I think it shows in the work that they have done, the people they have become, and the ideas that they have given to the rest of the human race about why we exist, how we exist, and how we should best exist, and how the individual should find that in their own. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's also important to consider that different people have, you know, different kinds of lives with different responsibilities. There are some people that, you know, in order to survive their only option is to do manual labor all day like an ungodly amount of hours per week and in that case it's like your your ability to to think freely and live your life um, by choice is is different and less advantaged than another person so and again you know like my job it's not amazing it's it's a job but at the same time I enjoy my job much more than probably a lot of other people enjoy their job and uh, me saying that I like to put myself into whatever I'm doing and be present in it and try to enjoy it for what it is that I that is an advantaged way of thinking not everybody I don't think everybody has that 
that um, freedom to do that. There's this idea that's kind of come and gone with me in these past few months, which has to do with more fully understanding my concept of self. And I suppose it's like, when I, when I think about those who are disadvantaged compared to me, obviously they have the homeless, or people in um, third world countries, uh, or anyone that is really struggling. I have a fairly easy way of life and situation. And I think you can really get caught up and even depressed by comparing yourself to those around you and having this idea that like, oh, you're taking all you have for granted, you should be happy, you are lucky, you should, you should feel good. And I think that is an unhealthy way of thinking uh, because I've come to more fully explore the idea of while thinking of myself as just another human also embracing part of myself that has to do with doing what is most comfortable for me because that's all I can do I, I cannot live through the lives of others and it, it has also been alongside spending more time alone and I'm not a person who feels uncomfortable being alone I'm not a person who really gets too lonely because I do have a situation where I live with my family so I still see people every day but it has lended me to, to a more recent way of thinking that accepts the inevitability of the world and the inequality that will perpetuate itself forever and does and if I can help people I will but I can only do and see things from my point of view so, so I should only find peace and, and comfort with what I can and what I would say to that is you know I think it's very easy to compare ourselves to others you know all day long our the life that we were given the um, privileges the disadvantages whatever but one thing we can all connect with is that we are all existing and I mean what I really like about what Albert Camus talks about with the myth of Sisyphus um, for those of you who don't know about the myth of Sisyphus it's it's like a I think it's in Greek mythology um, yes but it's this myth about this guy Sisyphus. I don't remember what exactly he did, but he was punished by the gods to be on this hill for the rest of eternity, holding up this boulder above his head and supporting it. And then, like, I, I think trying to walk up the hill, but then he, each time he walked up the hill, it would roll down. It would roll back down. So it was just like this perpetual. I. I I don't even know what to call it. It's just like, you know, you're doing something over and over. It's repetitive, it's mundane, and that is your existence, Mr. Sisyphus. And what Camus talks about it is, it's like he's a, he raises the question, well, you know, what if, what if Sisyphus was happy? What if, uh, what if that was okay for him? And that raised the question to me. It's like, you know, well, we're talking about the, the aesthetic life. The, re the repetition is numbing. It's, it's like the myth of Sisyphus. But I think sometimes life does feel that way, even if you don't live the aesthetic life. Like, you know, you're living the ethical life or the religious life. You're, um, you know, trying to go other ways to live your life and be fulfilled, even if it's not by satisfaction or um, pleasure. I think a lot of the time the questioning things, um, comparing yourself to other people, thinking, am I doing this the right way? Was this how I was supposed to live my life? All, all of these things, it can be very repetitive. So I think what I say about, you know, just enjoying the process and trying to make the most out of whatever you're doing 
it kind of relates to that. You were talking earlier about being present in every moment and trying to practice that skill. Yeah, and I'm like, I think it, it stemmed from me being very dissociated for a long time and it was a very uncomfortable dissociation where I, like, even after I stopped smoking weed for a while, like, I was still very dissociated and it felt like I was high all the time even though I wasn't. That's the best way to describe it, I think. Like, I just didn't really feel like my cognitive abilities were all there. I just kind of felt removed from the world. I can kind of relate to that these days. And uh, it's, 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 it's it was uncomfortable for me at least. I don't know how uncomfortable it is for you. Currently, I mean, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, I'm doing a lot better than I have been in the past. Like for, for, for me, I was trying to make, like, make sense of things, trying to do things about how I felt, but since I was so disconnected from it and detached from the world, seemingly, it was... I felt like I was not in control, and that was what was uncomfortable for me. I think what I have been talking about with um, what I would describe as often thinking existentially, it it the result, um, or one of them anyway, has been kind of yes, me socially distancing myself from people in the world, so that. More often these days, when people are talking to me, I kind of, I kind of lose them, and I, I already am thinking about something else, and I'm, yeah, not really listening to people. Um, I've also had a bit of uh, trouble very recently with, with people who give you too much information. You know, it's just like, hey, cut it down. Let me just give me the facts. Um, well, I mean, I think we can also branch this off and talk about another thing that we discussed um, so how, how does the drive for pleasure or living the aesthetic life how does that motivate socialization for different individuals I mean and I can say personally I talk to people on a regular basis I reach out to friends nurture relationships it's been different lately I've been less um, frantic with it you know like I I used to just reach out to friends whenever I talked to them for a while, like out of anxiety. And I was like, hey, are we still friends? Are we still friends, dude? Now it's like, it's more calm. Like, I'm like, you know, we're gonna be friends even if we go a little while without talking, it's not a big deal. But I still find myself, you know, wanting to talk to my friends and reaching out to them because it gives me pleasure and I enjoy talking to them. But I think for you, that has always been different you've had less of a desire to reach out to people and have a social life because maybe one, you aren't super about the aesthetic life, you aren't really going for pleasure, or maybe um, just being social doesn't give you as much pleasure. I mean, it, it does give you some pleasure or else you wouldn't talk to anybody ever at all, but maybe it doesn't give you as much as the normal person. There was certainly a long period of time in these past few years where I was Perhaps overanalyzing, but maybe that's just who I am, my social relationships, and I definitely, at, at a few times, was getting uh, more negativity than pleasure. And it took mm -hmm. me, I think, a very long time until recently to kind of understand that, like, I have the control, and I, I, I can be the one who has the power to, to shift my own social influence and uh, character well and remember what we were talking about last week is the whole the certainty and solitude being by yourself like you, can you are you you're in control of everything yeah. like you don't have to worry about what another person is going to say another person is going to feel and you also don't have to worry about like over analyzing their behavior i mean as i've probably said before on the podcast i feel like i'm someone who is quite happy to go along with the desires of others but mm -hmm. that means that my desires are not really fulfilled. You're losing some of yourself in others, so to speak. So now that I've drawn back, I've found greater parts of myself. But then, just as I was just saying, I'm kind of, I'm kind of dreamy a lot more. But maybe I'm more comfortable this way. I think, probably, yeah. Well, then we we've definitely talked about the um, the aspect of being social and having friends 
part of the desire in that is obviously um, a matter of comfort. Some people aren't comfortable alone, so they seek out other people to, I guess, make them feel more comfortable with their existence. Like, hey, I'm not existing alone. I have this other person with me, so it makes me feel better about, you know, being here. I but think that's the more positive way to say it. What you used before, the word frantic, is how I have seen it before though and I was I think I used to be a lot more frantic now I I don't feel bad about it because the 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 franticness I guess if that's a word the franticness of it um, has subsided a lot and I feel more comfortable being by myself I feel more comfortable with a lot of aspects of the world so my desire to be around people and have those friendships it's less about comfort now and it's more about what we're talking about in this episode which I think fits nicely I think for me it's more about the the pleasure that I get from talking to people rather than comfort because it's like I can spend a long time alone and be fine which wasn't the case before and now the reason that I do have those friendships and hang out with people is because it makes me feel good and I like it would you say that that desire and that fulfillment um, is closely tied to the desire to share your ideas kind of in order to validate them um, but also maybe to get feedback and to bounce your ideas off of people and to have like a like a two-way electrical system almost man it's changed so much recently like I know we've been talking a lot in these episodes just about how like I'm changing a lot I'm reframing a lot of the things that I believed but I think in the past say like there's two two me's in this situation one six months ago and one now I think my old self yes I needed validation so I'd like to hang out with people and tell them how I was feeling and what I thought and then I would just wait for them to validate me and I liked hearing what they had to say but I didn't I may have listened, but I didn't always hear. And do you think it was validating your existence more or your thoughts? Both. Yeah. It made me feel like, okay, well, me, me being this way and existing as me, as this specific person and myself, it validated that, but then also it's like, hey, not only do I feel these things, but I also kind of think in this way and I have these ideas and I want you to validate that and make me feel like not only am I valid as a person and as somebody existing but make me feel like a smart person mm-hmm. so now we got my old self we got that picture me today I look for validation much less one because I don't need it as much and two because I've kind of accepted that the validation that I'm seeking can only come from myself. Interesting. Nobody is going to tell me what I want to hear except me. And to find that validation, uh, I've gone about it in a different way. I think for a long time I just had this frustration from talking to people and I would be seeking some sort of validation and they would be like, oh, that's cool. And I'd be like, you don't mean it though. And I, I would just be like frustrated because people couldn't give me what I wanted. I felt that way for a very long time. So now, like just being validated myself, like thinking, hey, like I'm a good person. I have valid ideas, and I can tell myself that and feel it, instead of looking at, for it in other people. Now, I seek validation less in people, and whenever I like tell somebody about my ideas, it's more so just like because I'm curious to hear what others may think not out of a like not in search of validation and whenever people tell me about what they think I'm not just like waiting for my turn to talk I'm actually listening to them soaking in what they have to say and not only like soaking it in to have a better picture of who they are but maybe to integrate some into my thinking because I think it's always been a problem for me for a long time um, to kind of just tune out everybody else and think that I have it all figured out my way is the best way and I'm smarter than everybody else so why even think about what other, other people have to say but now I've sort of accepted that you know like the people that I surround myself with 
the people I've chosen to be friends with are smart and they have good ideas and I think if they weren't then I probably wouldn't have chosen th chosen them to be in my circle you know like I, th I have some great friends who have a lot of great things to say and I've started listening a lot more and not only just like listening so they have somebody to be listened to by um, but because I think that what they're saying is like worthy of being heard it's a very interesting thing I think sometimes you do come across people though that probably people who aren't your friends you know that you're around somehow and they say something and you, you're just kind of like I don't agree with that and so it's very hard at that point to try and remain open well dude like but I you might not say anything yeah. I think lately like I've come across a lot of people particularly well like I mean a lot of people that I've talked to and they're like well yeah I don't agree with that but I see what you're saying and I think it, it's been happening a lot more frequently in our relationship maybe because the both of us were just a little bit less comfortable with saying that yeah I mean maybe this podcast has been a good avenue to we've yeah we've be, I think we we've become a lot more comfortable in our relationship to like actually say what we feel to each other mm because I think we both kind of hid things from each other whenever we were upset about something that they said or... Recently, I've had this feeling, not just with you, but with some other people, in that we've been friends for many years now, but that means there's a precedent of a dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, this, mm -hmm. is, this, yeah. is, this, is, this was the good times, and this is how they got along. Time goes on, and here we are now. And so there's... At least in me, this is how I feel. There's kind of this feeling where it's like... In, in enjoying that solitude sometimes, I, can, I lose myself sometimes when I'm around people because it almost feels like I am naturally and immediately warped to that social situation. But recently I've been thinking about trying to remain conscious of myself even when I'm with people and I, and I think the fact that we've been friends for so long we've both changed a great deal while being friends um, we've had a lot of memories together that, like sometimes I think about it, like oh god those days we were, we were a bunch of fucking hooligans and I, and I think the just the the idea that we've been friends for a while been through a lot of different phases while being friends and changed a lot and we're able to sit down and talk about things um, in an understanding way I think that's just a really nice thing I think I mean what, what I was just describing with losing some of yourself when in conversation or when around another person I think uh, that comes as being like kind of like I, I have felt in the past like we were saying before where if someone if you give your ideas to someone but they basically don't interpret it like you were at all and you're kind of like well maybe I shouldn't say anything kind of yeah um, mm -hmm. that makes you not feel very good um and in, in times in, in my recent life of, of a few years, I felt like en masse, in groups of friends, my opinions were warped and not taken for the feeling that I had put into them. I feel like I have a passion with, with my thoughts. I feel genuine about them. And saying those thoughts to other people and them not their response not really reaching expectations that that are there even if like you don't want to feel like they are there yeah expectations is interesting because it's like what are my expectations I don't really know or like maybe a better way to say it is like hopes of what they may say um, but I mean and that ties into you know the aesthetic life because having that hope in the first place is you're seeking you're seeking some type of satisfaction or um, you know the pleasure of somebody saying whatever I think one of the reasons I, f I have 
find a lot of comfort in solitude is because historically I have not found a great deal of fulfillment in, in the feedback that I've gotten from other people. And on that note, I'd like to sum up the aesthetic life and then move on to the other ones. Okay. So I think, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of different ideas in it, but I think as a whole, the aesthetic life is just, it's, it's the most common one, I think, and it stems from just a lot of people can't relax and be fulfilled in their existence without other things distracting them or or in a, in a way engaging them engaging them or in a way like making them focus on that pleasure on that satisfaction it's why a lot of people do drugs and drink excessively workaholics like, yeah workaholics um people that exercise you know, a lot exercise a lot seek out other people have sex a lot like they're just they want to be engaged or focused on something that makes them feel Quote, quote unquote fulfilled good whatever and it's something that I think I've struggled with for a long time but I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of move out of it and still have aspects of it because you know obviously I still want to feel good uh, I still want to experience things that are pleasurable but I kind of want to not focus on that mode of existence quite as much maybe share a little bit from all of them it's good to relax sometimes that's my viewpoint but you know, Douglas, I mean, I mean, you know, man, I would like to, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about the ethical life from your perspective, because I think, I think as a whole, it's pretty straightforward. It's like, you know, you're doing things that are right, doing things that you may, may think that you're supposed to. Um, but you know, man, I think it's it's often overlooked everybody's just like you know what I do what I'm supposed to obviously I do you know I'm a good guy I do what I what is I think is right but I think it's more central to your existence than yeah I have a sense that um, especially when I experience it personally injustice and inequality is like a high crime um, and those who feel comfortable perpetuating those things uh, perhaps are, are not good people um, and that's very strong language you know to just assume that right off the bat and you never know because sometimes the situation is it's a stranger and you don't really know them and it's you saw them this one time so you, you only got a glimpse of them but as far as um, trying to be good I think um, I do what I can to try and maintain that and not to uh, offend other people because yeah I, th I think it's I think all people should be equal and I think that the concept of like deeming somebody as good or bad because of their actions is very hard to 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 call somebody to to say about somebody and I think we could talk for a long time about that subject I mean one quick thing I would say if I had to sum some of it up is like there are people who I think are not good but it's probably because of factors in their childhood and other parts of life that mm. led them to be that way. And you some know, people... Like Elaine? <laughs> What's going on there? You know, like, that's not really a good person if she acts like that so much. And some people would make the argument that if somebody was so disadvantaged growing up, then that would maybe, like, excuse the, the bad and it wouldn't make them necessarily a bad... It wouldn't excuse their behaviors, but it wouldn't it would explain why that they're doing bad things and it would make them not a bad person, which I, I don't think I would agree with. I think, you know, you, you you aren't, you don't have a choice in what you're dealt growing up and everything, but you do have a choice in what you do with it. Just like, I didn't have a choice in my last breakup. I didn't have, it. I was broken up with. I didn't have a choice to maintain the relationship, keep it going, but I, I did have every choice in where I went from there, what I did with it, you know. The real question, I think, my friend, 
is in life do we do we have the choice of the way that our consciousness develops we have the choice of exposing ourselves to choice things that will uh, further ourselves but we don't have the choice of how we were raised we don't have the choice of the precedent to continue from there you must make do originally with what you have and then if you come to the realization that you can change yourself you want to you're not comfortable you want to do something else then you have the choice to think for yourself but i think many people just from the way they are raised and from their natural intuition follow a path that is most natural for them and does not necessarily lend itself much to existential or outward exploration beyond what they thought they could be capable of no i i think i think some people just blame others for everything that's an interesting one and you know like we don't have control over everything we don't have control over like what consciousness we our baseline is so to speak we can move on from there in so many different ways but no I mean we don't have a choice and and how we start from there but as you were talking about like our consciousness develops I think we do have we have some hand in that I mean like when you're a child it's kind of like you don't even understand consciousness right I think that's a very pure state of thought and as you get older you're a preteen you're a teenager then you begin to understand more about this and you're like okay well my actions are consequences I can do this or not that is when it begins and that's when well, and I would say in the past six months you know like I've changed so many of my beliefs and my viewpoints um, I've become overall more optimistic um, and a lot of those things but it was all of my own doing it was because of choices I made following a very dark period and I made the decision to make the most of it and I've you know worked on myself a lot I've done things that I enjoyed pursued some passions what have you but it was all of my doing so I think to a certain extent the developing of your consciousness after I'd say particularly after like a bad period of time where you go from there is is completely up to you was that inevitable for you as an individual well many people of course go through bad times and it gets worse and they don't try and help themselves was that inevitable for them is does fate exist in in these terms of how we are guided by the uh, the baseline consciousness that we are given uh, I don't believe in fate in that sense. I think the only inevitable, in, inevitable, inevitability in this scenario would be it was inevitable for me to get better and make these positive changes because if I went any lower, I would have hit rock bottom and like. Because you are someone that would have that response. Yeah, and I think the inevitability of of somebody going up or down or keep going down or whatever is based on the individual's capacity you know because some people like they may have continued to go down and down and down because you know they they could handle just going down and down without losing it but for me it's like I was feeling very low for a long time and I have a strong desire to feel good so yeah like me as an individual I think it you could argue that it was inevitable for me to go up because I just couldn't do it any longer, but I don't believe in f Okay, well I was in the middle of talking and then I got a phone call on my cellular, so it interrupted me, but I was basically finishing up the thought by saying, um, I don't believe in fate in the sense that, um, who we become as a person is inevitable because, you know, we're, we're 
supposed to be this person um, ultimately so our our choices are kind of destined to be so we can end up to be this this person at the end of the day okay um so we've talked about the ethical mode of existence in terms of you know good and bad what we think is right what we think is wrong but there's also this sense in you know doing what you think you're supposed to do I'm doing this because it's just the way that it is that's the way I am and I'm just gonna do it um, and if anybody has ever heard about the Enneagram I'm a type 4, so this doesn't relate to me as much, but my boy here, he's a type 6, and something about type 6s, you hear, is, you know, you kind of just do, I mean, how would you, how would you describe it in terms of yourself? So what, what you were saying earlier is that you were thinking that, that I do what I feel I'm supposed to do, kind of, what I feel mm -hmm. is right. Um, and there are instances in my life where, when reflecting upon things, I have thought, like, oh, well, I may as well do this. <coughs> it doesn't really matter, but, like, uh, I, could, I could be of some benefit if I did this. So I shouldn't even question doing it, I should just do it, I should do it, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but that also comes, I think, probably with not doing things where many times in conversation, I could say this, uh, but maybe I don't want to lead it down that route, and so cut it off, it's gone, I'm not going to say it. And I think this is where you heavily differ from the aesthetic life as what as we were describing it before, because, you know, you aren't really doing things in search of a certain feeling, you're just kind of doing them because it, it seems like the right thing to do in that situation, the things that you're like, you're kind of supposed to do. Yeah, I think... Um, even if it's not, if it, even if it's something that you don't feel like will bring you any, any pleasantries, it's just kind of like, that's what I do. Yeah, as I've probably mentioned before, I like to go out and film things, so... The other day, two days ago, I was walking downtown the city just filming things that I came across. I didn't know where I was walking, I didn't know what I was going to come across. And, and to me, uh, as a person who doesn't feel things very strongly, I, I did have a moment where I was walking down these roads and I was like, I like this. I'm comfortable. I like, I guess, the unpredictable nature of of things that I'm coming across and I don't know what's going to be around the next corner and as far as uh, you know what we were talking about kind of like what I'm supposed to do I think when you're in those unpredictable situations uh, like you are often with other people you don't know what other people are going to say mm -hmm. you, you can have this sense of uh, of trying to gauge the situation or the person and, and following through with a response that you feel is merited. I don't know, I, I think I, I, am, I am explaining it kind of generally. Is there more you would like to delve into with that concept? Mm, I mean, I, I think the main idea is it's less about what's going to make you feel good as an individual or what you want it's more about like i guess what you should do based on i guess partly how you were raised and how you how you grew up to feel who you are it's like your, your sense of self that you've developed and it it's just like I am this person and this person this type of person would do this hmm, so, that's I'm, interesting. so I'm going to do it 
Well, I can't say I relate too strongly to that concept in, in defining myself as a type of person. I, I do do that sometimes when I'm coming back to kind of justify my actions. And it could also be an unconscious thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think... I think from the... The characters, characterization that I got from my parents and my siblings' upbringing, I think it brought me to a kind of calm with, with looking at life uh, in many situations where if something needs done, you just kind of do it and the less you complain or take longer time, the quicker it will be done and the sooner you can chill out. Um, and I think, and, I, and something that we were also talking about earlier today in terms of, you know, our, our Enneagram differences. Like I was saying, me as a type 4, my sense of self is very important to me. It's a motivation, finding, um, or I guess solidifying my sense of self in everything that I do. Um, whereas you said that your sense of self, it isn't really something that concern you concerns you as much. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of worth as well and, and self value. Like I, I think, uh, valuing myself is very important to me. I was very unhealthy, whenever I didn't make strides to value myself, and now that I've been doing more like self care, self love, um, valuing myself, it it is it's been very positive to my mental health yeah I mean maybe something would raise I think that is interesting is in the past you know we've talked about meditation and, and you've described trouble and difficulty with trying to get to that mindset and I don't easily understand the mindset of, of self-loving because I don't feel that passion very strongly I think for myself don't look at myself negatively or positively necessarily just because I don't really feel those feelings that strongly in relation to individual personal characterization. I guess I guess I live on observation and that's mm. why I like to document and that's why I like to see the response of others because I don't think I live as much in prejudice. And maybe like you know, you like you you see yourself as more like one of the universe, like just another person who happens to be here. Whereas I see myself like as an individual. I'm different from everybody else, and you know I'm part of humanity, but that's less significant than me being an individual. Whereas you like you're like, you know I feel these things and I experience my emotions but at the end of the day it's just like I'm just another person there's nothing necessarily significant about me yes um, I don't feel significant that's why maybe you instead of acting on your own emotions and desires and stuff you're acting less on those and more on just like you know this is what feels like I'm supposed to do feels like it makes sense in this situation and I think that says a lot I do think it comes from a place of ambiguity because I was the youngest child of four children and I think um, maybe that just being one of the factors that affected me but I think uh, because it seemed to me when I was young that my older siblings or older people could interact with the world more successfully. It made me perhaps subconsciously feel that I was not worthy of such things and that I did not have the capability of coercion. And maybe that's why, so I mean like we've been talking about the ethical life, the third one is the religious life and I made the argument that maybe the religious life could also um, could also be spoken about in 
terms of, you know, not necessarily practicing a religion, but just like living for something that is larger than yourself. And, you know, you're not religious, but I think, and we have talked about, it does seem that you would benefit from, from, um, living for something larger than yourself, something greater than yourself. And like where, for me, since I'm very individualistic, I value my, my individualism, whatever. I think looking at like things that are greater than myself, things that are like things like religion and stuff. And I'm like, bitch, no, there's nothing greater than myself. Like, and it's not necessarily in like a cocky narcissistic way, but it's just like, I think the most important thing that I could focus on is myself, getting to know myself, getting to know um, how to maximize my existence, you know, how to be a better, happier person rather than focusing on other things. And like, you know, the th a big thing about like, Christianity that it's always irked me is like, a big saying is, I am second, God comes first before me. And I'm like... I've always found that very interesting, yes. And you know, I think... On a Tinder profile. Well, and I think like the religious life, it's basically saying you don't have to be religious or practice a certain religion. It's just you're living your life in pursuit of something greater than yourself and devotion to something greater than yourself. And it's something that I've never been able to relate to. But maybe you are like a mix between the ethical and the religious, even though you aren't religious. Yeah, I think... Um I could relate to that. I mean, I do feel a sense of universal spirituality. Maybe I could look into that church, the, is it called like the Church of the Universe or, or something like that, where they're not... Scientology, dude. <laughs> <Tom Cruise? laughs> well, they're not religious, but they are people who congregate. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe try to influence their morals in a certain way. But without the religious uh, strict aspect of that. I think... Um, I find the idea of, uh, of of almost working for a higher power, being judged by a higher power, and believing that a higher power controls all is interesting. But I think in my mind, we as humans live in uh, a very malleable world because of the power that we have congregated over many years. So we have immense power over each other and uh, the environment, among other things. And I think, in terms of the whole, the existence of us and the universe and everything, uh, is amazing itself. It's incredibly uh, extraordinary and sometimes unfathomable. You know, maybe you see these nature documentaries with a species you've never seen before and you're like, that's insane uh, you know and it's interesting to me that many people if they're religious maybe they believe that a god created humans in his image and I just think it's interesting to not believe that we are creatures who somehow managed to become greater than our natural environment uh, and I'd say that most humans mentally separate themselves from animals and from nature and from reflection upon instincts. But really that's all we are. We are these animals that happen to be wearing clothes. But we... Animals that happen to be wearing clothes. Yeah, I mean, you ever think about that? And I like it. We just happen to have these immense intellects which give us the ability to not even realize our physical state. I think, you know, and I do it too, every so often I come back to it, but as humans we don't recognize ourselves as equal to the world. I think very subtly and consciously through culture we think of ourselves as greater than lesser things. Um, 
And that's a very general view. And I, I would add to that if I could, but it's a very complex thing to describe with it. I, I think that's a good place to end it. I think it's a lot to think about in that last bit. Yeah, I mean, if, if people are listening, I would ask them, how do you feel about as a being with this strong power to affect your environment with intuition, with imagination, with creativity, with the rationality? And think about what we have done as a group. And what can you do? Only you can prevent forest fires. Yeah. <laughs>